All right, welcome back. Thirsty Thursday, number 58. Tonight we're talking with chief and author Mark Hill, um, who just had a book come out uh, in November, officially hit hit the hit the shelves. Um, and he, we were just talking pre-show that he just finished up the audio book. Um, so, um, you know, it's going to be a great show tonight as always. I, I feel like one of one of the four of the the regulars is always kind of rotating through. So, uh, Bobby won't be able to make it tonight, but I'm back here. Um, and and as, as normal, we have Mike and, and Trevor. Um, so let's kick this off. Let's see what Mark has to say, and and we'll kind of go from there. So, um, Chief, why don't you go ahead and give us a little little intro about yourself, and um, you know, we'll we'll take it from there. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, as you said, I am Mark Hill. I'm in Wisconsin. Um, former fire chief, former a lot of things, former teacher, former principal, former football coach, track coach, <laughs> uh, all kinds of different things, right? Um, yeah, so I wrote uh, I wrote a book called Too Dark 30. Um, really, the, the goal behind the book was I wanted to create a resource for anyone in emergency services specifically that was trying to teach. Um, I think we've all had that basic instructor course. Um, and if you haven't, it's okay. It's a good course. Um, there's a lot to be said about the course. And I got kind of pigeonholed when I was chief. And when I left uh, being a chief and went to a larger department, um, I was kind of that pigeonholed person because I had taught for eight years. I taught middle and high school uh, for eight years. And then I had been a principal as well in between. So I was that guy that, well, Mark was a teacher. We'll have Mark teach all the probies and we'll have Mark do, you know, he'll, he knows how to do that stuff. He likes doing the teaching thing. We'll have Mark do all that teaching stuff. And I was fine with it because I did, I enjoyed teaching. Um, I was, I was a teacher for all those years, and while I was teaching, I was also a volunteer firefighter and EMT, so I was doing that kind of stuff at the same time. So, you know, the whole teaching aspect, you know, it was fine with me. It was, it was, a, natural, it was a natural thing that I could do. So I didn't feel like I was getting pigeonholed or being voluntold all the time to, to be that guy, but at the same time, when I wasn't working, when I wasn't on shift... I was always constantly getting, you know, emails and phone calls and, well, how do I, how do, you know, we've got this other guy, we got this other person on this other shift and they're having all these problems and, you know, all these different things. And so I was constantly coming up with, well, okay, this is how you want to do this. And this is how, you know, if you're going to quiz them, quiz them like this, or, you know, these are the types of questions you want to look for. And this is how you want to evaluate a person. And, you know, then there was confusion, too, about, well, am I a teacher or am I a mentor to this person? I'm like, listen, those are two different concepts. You know, if you're a teacher, you're a teacher. If you're a mentor, you're a mentor. Those are not the same thing. So, you know, having to explain all that stuff. So it was it was years in the making, uh, the book. And I finally had the time because I had moving a patient who hasn't gotten a back injury, um, blew out my L4-5 disc and. So I was off uh, with my back. So while I was sitting immobile, uh, my wife's like, why don't you just write that book that you've been talking about for all these different years? So I'm like, oh, I, I have the time now to do that. Sure, yeah, I'll do that. So 
I did. I started typing and I, I wrote the pretty much the first draft of the book and then came back to work, came back on shift, um, actually was good for about a year and a half. And then I got hurt again with my back and I ended up hurting my L5 S1 disc. So I was out again. So that's when, when I was out for the second time with my back laid up, that's when I'm like, okay, let's finalize this book thing. And that's when that all came through. So um, I tried using my experience from teaching and having been a fire chief and having been, you know, a volunteer firefighter and having been a professional firefighter for eight years and all these different things. Um, you know, I tried melding all that stuff and all that knowledge that I kind of had, you know, and tried pouring it into a simple, easy to read resource and guide that anyone could pick up and flip through and, and use to the best of their ability. And then I, my big thing too, is telling stories. So even when I was teaching, I always, I would always try to tell a story about something. Um, and I, I thought storytelling is really important because it gives context, it gives illustration, you know, a lot of the students I had and I have students, Oh, I have, there's guys in our department now that I was their teacher and I was their football coach. So, which is kind of funny, you know, there was one particular, there was a Lieutenant who he's a Lieutenant now who he would, he would always call me Mr. Hill for the longest time. <laughs> and everyone thought it was hilarious. Cause it's like, Oh, he still calls you Mr. Hill. That's so funny. You know, it's like, well, yeah, but I was his teacher. I was Mr. Hill for him for many years. You know, he didn't know me by anything else. So, you know, it, that was it's humorous, but the things, those, you know, the students and the people I taught, the things that they remember a lot of, they remember my stories and they remember the, you know, the context. Well, I remember when Mark told us about how he almost died and, you know, this is the events that led to that. And this is what he learned from the process, you know, so storytelling was central to what I believed education could do. So I started my book by starting with storytelling and the importance of storytelling. And then I told stories throughout the entire book. Every chapter has got multiple stories, trying to give context and illustration to what I'm talking about and what I'm trying to portray and, you know, the knowledge. So, um, and I tried to make it an easy to read, you know, it's not a, not something that's full of jargon that, you know, you need a secondary dictionary to look up. What does this word mean? Okay. You know, didactic. Oh, I say what it is. And then I say what, you know, the, the easy explanation is right next to it. So you can't forget it. So, um, but I wanted a quick resource. That was my biggest thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very nice. So, um, you know, one of the things that, and I know I've talked to Mark and to Mike about this, um, when when he's running our training at work, sure, it, it's so simple, and I like he breaks it down, and it's all about. I think a lot of it is the preparation that goes into it. Oh, huge! Um, yeah, and and as an instructor, he's probably one of the best people I've had to sit down and say, "Hey, look, this is like it goes from start to finish, and just does a great job." And then when it's a, when it's time for the hands-on stuff. Again, it's it's step by step because you've you've got that review in your mind, and now now you're just putting it all into practice. So I, I think you know I can't remember that I can't count the number of times that like at the end of the day it's like holy cow it's a productive day, yeah. And like you're B, but like there's so much that you've logged because 
you see it, you do it, you hear it, like yep. and it's just a constant cycle. So what is like what is something that helps? And, and obviously, you guys have a have a leg up because you have a like you you have an education in education. Yeah. Um, but as people that want to be instructors, what's something that to help them um, besides reading the book um, to get them going in the right direction? Well, from my aspect, you know, when I was when I was in college, I went to Michigan Tech University up in the UP, and. Uh, I didn't start in education right away. I was actually in engineering. Um, and I took a lot of social studies classes to offset my bad grades I was getting in engineering. So math was not my forte. I mean, differential equations in Calc 4, whew, you know, I still have, you know, ugh, nightmares about that. But um, I had a coming to Jesus meeting with uh, Bob Bonzak was his name. He was the electrical engineering advisor. He's like, Mark, if you ever want to get out of school, you know, you should look into teaching. You should go be a teacher. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go look at that, you know. So I did, and it fit very well, and I it really enjoyed it. But the one thing about all those classes, I mean, you'd have educational theory, you know, educational psychology, educational technology, all these different courses about education. There wasn't a single course I took that was called how to be a teacher there wasn't one and a lot of it was you learn as you do and i think that goes with you know most jobs i think you know you can have all the knowledge in the world and you can have all the certificates in the world but until you actually do the job that's when you gain the actual experience and that's when that you figure out the little shortcuts and you know figuring out how how this whole process works and what what are you really in charge of and you know how the whole thing you know fits together so you know for me it was it was really sink or swim with how to figure out how to be a teacher um i student taught ninth grade world history in west appear which is a suburb outside of green bay and um, my cooperating teacher was Candy Heiderscheid was her name. She was a 30 year veteran, fantastic teacher. She came in and she's like, okay, well, you know what, Mark, you are not getting any of my materials. I'm like, okay, here's the book. Okay. I will be here if you need me on the first day. After that, I'll be in my office. Okay. <laughs> you have the entire class to yourself, sink or swim. So it was like, okay, all right, or we're going to do this, you know? So, you know, the college is like, well, what's going to happen here, Mark, is you're going to take one class, you're going to observe for two weeks, then you're going to take one class, and then you're going to do that, and then, you know, in another couple of weeks, you'll take two classes, and then three, and then four, and then you'll have a full load before your, you know, student teaching ends. Well, that wasn't how it was. It was, nope. Day one, she introduced me to the course and she, or the class, and she said, all right, here's the syllabus, here's the book. And day two, they're all yours, and you can't use anything that I have. So that was good. It was good. I mean, it, it was one of those things like, yeah, okay, I, you know, either you can do it or you can't. And, you know, gosh, this is 23 years ago when that happened. So, I mean, it's a, it's a different world today. So a lot of, you know... I don't want, you know, I don't want to be one of those people that rags on, you know, millennials and all these, because I don't think that really, a lot of that doesn't really matter because, you know, either you figure out how to do it, right? You learn how to find the shortcuts or you try, hopefully, to ask someone, 
you know, find a mentor, find someone that you can try to bounce, you know, ideas off of, you know, so when people come, you know, like when I have, you know, we have FTOs now. So originally our department, we didn't have FTOs. And I know every department, Ben and I were talking about how drastically different every 50 state is and how even between counties within states, they all can change. Um, we didn't have an FTO position for, in our department. Um, there was, it was just like, well, you're, you're voluntold that you're going to be that preceptor. You're going to be there. You know, you're going to watch them for the first 30 days is what we did. So people would come in, they'd have two weeks of uh, probationary academy, kind of getting you all up to speed and, you know, getting you ready to, you know, do whatever the job was. And for us, you had to come in with fire two and you had to be a paramedic. So you had to come in with those things already done. So the two week academy just basically said, okay, this is our way of how we do stuff, right? Then after they get done with that, those people are then assigned to a shift, one of our one of the three shifts, and then for 30 days, that first month, so 10 days, we run a 10 day, you know, average in a month, right? Um, our schedule is a California schedule, so uh, we end up working 56 hours in a week, you know, average. But um, during that 10 day period, you were assigned as the third medic on the first out ambulance. And then the senior medic was supposed to be watching you. We didn't have an FDO position. So after years of doing that, um, I was like, we, we should we really need to have an FTO. We need to have something actually organized and set out, you know. And at the same time, our chief was um, trying to do strategic planning and succession planning and all these, you know, all the different things that were going on at the same time. So I'm like, we, we need to have... We need to have something, you know, set in stone. Um, not, not so much all this ambiguity and, and, you know, we have three stations. So we would, we would always say, well, we're one department, or we're one, you know, department, but we're really nine because every station was going to do things a little differently, and every shift would do things a little differently. You know, so we were, we were one department, but we really, 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 we were nine. You know, we were, you know, station three B crew, you know, we would do this and then, you know, station two A crew would do this. And there was no, you know, there was no good working, you know, together. We would come together when we had to. And, you know, if we had to come downtown to central, you know, we came downtown and we were in and out as fast as we could to get back to where we were going. So everyone would leave us alone kind of a thing. So, you know, the fact that we try to incorporate this department-wide standardized training method was was a huge you know improvement to our to our system for sure yeah um i, I know that's something that we struggle with i don't want to say struggle with but like we have every, everybody in our department is considered an fto okay. we have preceptors for students from the paramedic colleges that come um like we have sp specific stuff to do for that college but other than that like a new employee comes, um, you know, whatever, however it comes, like we, we do a lot of part-timers. Um, like one day I could be FTOing somebody tomorrow, Trevor's FTOing them. And again, it's two different shifts, two different stations, yeah. and it's completely different. And Trevor, since, since you kind of ran that when you were there, um, and 
do you want to you want to kind of talk about like your thoughts on that, and then maybe talk about you know your your thoughts on instructing as someone from a non-education background and also have, having done a lot of instruction. Well, I'm, I don't know how I should take the non-education background. Um, and right through the years, right through the feelings. No, no. Um, no I mean, but you, you, you have a degree in education. I know. I'm just kidding with you. But you know, out of everybody on the screen, um, you know, I don't come from the education background, which um, you know, all of you have taught at the, you know, at the middle school, high school level. Um, the only thing I have comparable to that is I attended middle school and high school. So, uh, but with that being said, uh, you know, I, I think that's very important. And Mark kind of hit on this a little bit uh, before is that when you go through your methods of instructor or methods of instruction class and they teach you, um, you know, how people learn and the, the learning styles, that's all really, really great stuff. But I think that the, the folks who come from the education background have a much broader spectrum and are much more comfortable with it versus that person who's come from the fire service and they have a passion for teaching. They have an ability to teach that hasn't been developed or exposed yeah. yet. And I still remember, uh, Ben, you probably remember, remember uh, Bob Klum, who was the uh, technician down at uh, Lower East Shore Memphis. For those you might not be familiar with him, mean, he was a very, very experienced Baltimore County firefighter for many, many years. And I always had a passion to to teach or instruct or to pass information more than anything. And I remember after I went through my ITC1 and ITC2 class and I was being evaluated, the um, I had my instructor evaluated, which was one. And I still remember this day I had my little cheat sheet. I had a, an index card with what I wanted to talk about to the class I was teaching. And as I was walking up to greet this uh, group of recruits, Bob Klum came up to me and snatched that card out of my hand. He said, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, well, this is what I'm going to talk about. He said, you know this stuff. He said, teach from the heart, not from the card. And I was mortified. And because that, that, I mean, that, that was my safety net. And he goes, no, he said, and so I, I appreciate the fact at the time, I was like, what the heck is this guy doing to me? Uh, he's setting me up for failure, he's going to torpedo me, but actually, if, if anything else, um, you know, he made me realize why I was there and what I should be doing versus, you know, going uh, you know, through the road memorization on that card. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Mark, you alluded to this quite a bit on, uh, you know, sometimes on LinkedIn and other things where you, you still show that vulnerability to say, hey, look, I've been doing this for a while, but we can always be better. There's always a different way to go about this. We can always receive it and bring in information and put it out a different way. Yeah. And, you know, so you know, Ben, from that, from that aspect, what you're talking about is when I became an instructor in fire service, I was relatively young and I, I really didn't feel that confident as an instructor because who the heck am I? Um, you know, I'm this young buck and these people have been there five, 10, 15 years longer than me, they must know more than I do and they must be better at this. That wasn't necessarily the case. And uh, you know, people like Buggy Scott, Del Baker, Tommy Kane, these are people who took me aside when I was uh, initially teaching and running the training division to say, hey, look, tell us what you want to, to be done. Like, why should I tell you? You know more than I do. They're like, uh, at, you know, time, time and grade does not mean more knowledge. You, know, yeah. you have more recency. You've gone to these classes. You have more to bring back and contribute 
that's your job. So I really had to look at things through a different lens and still to this day continue to do that is to say, you know, you know what you know, hopefully you know what you don't know, and you're able to balance those things out. And if you don't know something, there's no embarrassment, there's no shame in that. That's where I'll reach out to somebody who's a, a subject matter expert in the field or somebody who knows much, much more than I do about something. Yeah. Um, because, and we've all had that instructor. Uh, we've all had that person who was the oh, yeah. state fire college instructor, the you know, yeah. whomever. And they would they would stand before us and pontificate and point at the well now PowerPoint then the you know acetate on the overhead projector or the slide carousel, um, dating yeah. myself a little bit on that. But nevertheless, you, you really kind of knew what they didn't didn't know, and I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, I remember the first uh, basic fire fire for one class that I taught. When it came to wildland, the wildland firefighting section, I brought in, uh, it was actually Tina Vickers' husband, uh, Gerald Vickers. I mean, you know, the guy's just out of airplanes, uh, you know, in Western wildland fires. He's been with the Forestry Service. The guy's fought a wildland fire, too. My biggest experience with wildland firefighting, again, was that 20-foot by 40-foot patch of trees behind a 94th Street Mall in Ocean City. So sure. I felt very disingenuous teaching it, and I had a student come to me and say, Hey, um, sir, why, why didn't you teach this section? I said, well, I can read the textbook as well as you can. I've not done this. I want you to learn this from the, and I didn't realize at the time that that gave me a little bit of street cred. And it, at first I was a little bit embarrassed. Like, wow, yeah, I'm an instructor. I should know everything. I'm the omniscient and omnipotent being now, not whatsoever. So yeah. I think that you know, once you become comfortable in you know, where you're, I'm not saying where, where, where your passion lies, but also you know, where, where your ability to not only take the information in and regurgitate it back out. If someone asks you a question, how much background do you have to actually answer that question? And are you comfortable yeah. enough with yourself to go, you know what? I don't know, but I, I'm a dude who does. And that's what I, yeah, I respected. And like with you and, and Mike, uh, you know, Mike would obviously, Bobby McGee, you know, Ben, you're the same way. Mark, I see that a lot in a lot of uh, the communication that you put out there is you're very honest and visceral with that. So, with, with that being said, Mark, what are some what are some things that you look at as an instructor you know, with with what we just talked about that vulnerability? Um, how how does that help you become a better instructor? And, and I know you probably detail that a little bit in your uh, in Two Dark Thirty as well. So, if you don't mind speaking yeah. on that for a minute, well, I. <laughs> A lot of it goes back to that concept of imposter, imposter syndrome, right? Where you get a position or you're asked to do something or you're asked to present or, you know, um, you're voluntold that, hey, guess what? You're doing the, you're going to do the confined space refresher. Uh, okay, you know, <laughs> all right, I guess we're doing that, you know. And like you said, it's it's to the point where it's like, well, okay, yeah, I've done the course. You know, I've gone through the refreshers myself, but I've never taught the course. And it goes to, you know, the old, you know, the old thing of, you know, the classic, if you want to learn something or if you want to know something, you need to teach it. You re you retain 90%, you know, and in statistics, you know how that goes. The, you know, everyone's, sh you know, there's shades of gray. It doesn't literally mean 90%. It's just on average. You you just retain more information, right? You it, you know more about the gray's different, Joe. Yeah. You, you you know more things about things when when you start having to tell it to somebody else. 
And I think a lot of the times, you know, when you get these new instructors, or specifically when you when you're when you're told that hey, you're going to be the preceptor, the FTL, whatever the situation is, and you're worried like, oh, I don't know anything. I what do I know? I barely know what the hell I'm doing. You know, I I can't I can't I don't know how to teach. I don't know how to do these things. And when it, when it comes right down to it, everyone feels that way. There's not a single person that doesn't doubt or have a thought in their mind that I don't know enough. I don't, I'm going to get asked a question. I don't know the answer to, you know, oh my God, they're going to, they're going to figure out that I'm an idiot or, you know, you, you start having all this negative thought in your, and, and that's a normal reaction. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're, what industry you're in. It doesn't matter what position you're having. It doesn't matter what's going on. Whenever you start out in a, in a position, you're always going to think like that always. And it, it, it just, the imposter, the syndrome part comes to, well, are you debilitated by acting? I mean, there is, there is severity in the, in the range, right? And it goes back to what I was saying. Well, okay, sink or swim, you know, can you figure out how to do the job? And, you know, if you don't know, do you know the right person to ask? And are you comfortable asking? You know, that's, that's the other thing too. Like for, for me, and I and I try I try to do as much as I can, you know, throwing little tidbits out there about, you know, different things on social media, you know, from what I've understood and what I what, what's worked well for me, right? Number one is just being honest. You know, whenever I start a class, I just got done teaching three sections, the paramedic refresher, right? So first thing is, yeah, I've been a medic now for you know eight years. I've gone through however many refreshers. Yeah, I'm an instructor too, blah, 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 blah. I've done all the different things. But you know what? I don't know everything. Nor nor will I tell you that I know everything. In fact, I hate the word expert because expert tells me that there's nothing more to know. And that is impossible. There's always more to know. There's always something more to gain. There's always more knowledge to get. There's always a different view to take. There's always circumstances and there's all kinds of things that go into situations, right? So I always tell the students, hey, listen, I don't know everything. I'm not going to pretend to tell you that I know everything. I, I, I will be straight up with you that if I don't know, you know what? We'll figure it out together. And that, starting the class out like that, I've always found that it, it 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 helps break the seal, right? Like everyone kind of like everyone just take a deep breath. Everyone just relax. We're all in this together, okay? We're all here together. We're all here for a reason. We're all here for a purpose, okay? This is not an animosity situation. There is, you know, we we want we want to we want to get to the end of this having learned something, having gained knowledge gained experience and whatever the situation, whatever the course is. And when we get to that end, you know what, just know that it's not the end. It's just the beginning of where the, your knowledge can take you into the future. Right. So, you know, those concepts are, are huge, but going back to what you were saying too, a lot of teaching though, is knowing who your audience is. So, I'm going to, you know, I, I will instruct, you know, if we're doing, you know, October fire prevention stuff and I've got a group of first graders, I'm not going to talk to those kids the same way I'm going to talk to high school students, right? Same thing goes for, you know, if I'm teaching firefighter one or if I'm teaching an extrication class and I've got uh, volunteer firefighters, which are going to be a gambit 
you know, when I was on a volunteer department, when I was fire chief, I was the, I was the only, I was full-time, but I was the only full-time member of that department. Everyone else was part-time. You know, I, we don't want to say volunteer because they were getting a wage, but at the same time, they really were, right? They were volunteering their time to what they could do for the department and for the, you know, the municipality that, that we worked in. And I was the only full-time person. So, you know, that was a situation. But you had, I had people that literally were, you know, 19, 20 years old. And I had people that were 70 years old. Massive generational changes, massive generational shifts, massive, you know, complexities dealing with well, how you talk to one group, how you don't talk to another group, what one group expects in their instructor, what another group expect, you know, expects another instructor. So when you're teaching a group of, of, of that audience, you really have to vary how things go. If I have just a group of solid, you know, 20 just recruits that are fresh probationary, every one of them is 21, 22 years old, that message is going to be severely different versus my volunteer group that I may have, you know, an individual in that department that's been doing it for 40 years. But going back to what you said, Chief, just because you've done it for 40 years does not mean that you've done it correctly for 40 years. And doesn't mean that, you know, you've, you know, you've been doing things the appropriate or legally or doing it the legal way. Short story to just to give you an example. So when I, when I, when I became chief down in Rothschild, uh, they were giving me a tour. I was, it was a, you know, I was telling Ben before we got on here that, you know, everyone always asks, well, what's your next bookmark? And you know what? Another book I could write is how I failed as a fire chief. Um, you know, because, you know, we all complain about, you know, organizations and how bad, you know, some organizations are. And I will be the first one to admit, man, I haven't been a part of a, a well-run organization, including the one I ran, you know, so I could write a whole book about my failures. I could listen off, you know, I made a list one day like, oh, I screwed this up. I screwed this up. I screwed this up. But the day I took over as fire chief, I took over for a chief that had died um, line of duty death. He had uh, died of a heart attack after an EMS call. The bunting was still in the corner of the station when I got a tour of the building. And I was given, you know, directive from the municipality. We need you to come in here and fix things and all these, you know, apparent problems and, you know, all this stuff. I was going to be the ax man, right? I was given a directive. You need to fix this, Mark. It's, you know, this is going to be your ship now. I'm like, okay. Went around to the ladder truck. What they called on the side of the truck was ladder. However, it was technically, a, it was a telescort. It was an elevated master's dream with a, with a rescue ladder that is not technically a ladder. You know, we want to get it. It's not. That's, I'm like, that's not, that's a telesquirt. Uh, that's not a ladder truck. I'm not going to use that as a ladder truck ever, you know. But whatever, um, you know, coming in, I opened the side, one of the side doors, and there was this giant dual spool, hundreds of feet of electrical cord, extension cord. And I'm like, okay, what is, what, why, why do we have like a thousand feet of electrical cord on, on a double reel? What, what is this for? And then one of the guys is like, well, it's for our saws. And then he goes to the next compartment and opens the compartment up. There are two 1984 Craftsman plug-in chainsaws. I'm trying to think. 
14 they were 16 inches they were it was a 16 inch bar i'm like okay what are those saws why why what i don't understand what the, what's the saw for and he's like well those are our vent saws i was like um what do, what do you mean they're your vent saws like are you talking roof vent saws he's like well yeah we need the cord to be able to get up onto the roof to use the saw I'm like, okay, yeah, we're not doing that ever. No, 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 we're not doing that. And actually, I got pushback from some of the you know more elder statesmen on the department that I was wasting money by buying a sure vent saw and putting that on the rig and taking off a thousand feet of electrical cable and two 1984 Craftsman uh, electrical saws. Holy. So, it's it's shocking and it's amazing, but that goes to what I was saying that even when I stepped in as chief, I had an idea, but I still, you know, I learned I learned a hell of a lot in that first year working out of a closet in the fire station. I did. I learned a lot, and I thought I was prepared going in, having been a principal, you know, of a building and done budgeting and you know all those different things, but. Being a chief is, is a lot more about politics than it is about, you know, a lot of other things. And you learn a lot by doing that. And the same thing goes for when I was instructing. You know, you think you know, but then at the same time, you really don't until you start getting into it and start actually doing it. That's when you kind of like, oh, so that's how that works. And OK, that's how that works. You know, the chief's example of bringing someone in to talk about, you know, wildfires. That's fantastic. I mean, that that's that's one hundred percent. When I do, when I do the refreshers for paramedic, we talk about OB, you know, um, and pregnancy stuff. Guess what? I've never birthed a child. Okay, I have helped my wife by pulling out our three daughters. <laughs> you know, that was the extent of in you know my abilities with with child with childbirth. But when it came to, we actually, we had, we delivered, and I talk about it in the book, Was it was one of the things that was a miraculous thing. We delivered a preemie uh, full breech birth. That was something else. But at the same time, I've never done that before. And, you know, you just hope that you've prepared yourself by, you know, visualizing, by reading, by learning as much as you can prior to getting into those situations. You know, so going back to, you know, the beginning, we all have doubts. We all have, you know, uh, worries about whether you're doing it correctly or you're doing it right. And, you know, the best the best advice I can give to anyone who, you know, is worried or thinking like that is to just just don't worry about it. Everyone feels like that and just just do it. You're going to screw up and that's OK. You know, there's nothing wrong with screwing up. All right. You're going to learn. I've learned more from my failures and my mistakes than I've ever learned by just doing it perfectly the first time, you know. So, you know, jumping in to that deep end sometimes is the best thing you can do. Yeah. Well, let me but, ask you guys this because um, I'm, oh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. I know Mike's got a lot going on. And I told him, I said, hey, if there's something that you want to comment on, I want you to just like either shoot me a text or turn your camera back on. So while we got him here for a second, go ahead, Mike. Please tell me it's something, and I don't mean to pick on your previous department chief. Please tell me it's something about the electric saws. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mark, you know what? Just, <laughs> just, just as a side note before I let Mike go, 
Mike is um, Mike works for Baltimore City and is the tower ladder driver uh, for Baltimore City. So when when I heard you start talking like in the direction in which that was going, I could feel the tension in Mike. We, we are like forty five miles. We're like forty miles away. Right now. So go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, sorry to jump in your grave there, Trevor. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know what? Here's a real quick story piggyback on that. That. Um, will kind of be pretty relatable there, Chief Hill, um, and ironic uh, considering, you know, when we speak on Baltimore City or any major metropolitan area, you think, well, that department probably has it all squared away. Well, I'll tell you, up until about 10 years ago, we used uh, the still version of the K-12, of course, um, uh, rotary saw, and clearly marked on the stills. <laughs> with a nice big yellow warning label uh, that was right beside the carburetor, right beside the pull handle, said, this saw is not designed to cut wood products. <laughs> and, uh, and it, of course, alluded to the blade as well. There is no blade manufactured by this uh, make or, the, you know, uh, this manufacturer that is capable of of cutting wood products and we operated with those saws for my first 10 years and uh, probably the previous 20 before that um, and it was actually uh, my uh, uh, my senior driver at the time when i was young uh, who found that label and presented it to operations chief of the department and within uh, two weeks all the still saws were gone and um, and that's when Husqvarna saws began showing up. So just because you're a department um, that seems relatively small or, or isolated doesn't mean that those big departments have it all right. So um, uh, you know, in relation to in relation to the electric chainsaw uh, yeah. story, but um, but no, I, I one thing I wanted to comment comment on was I think you you're hitting on what I believe to be one of the most important aspects of being a quality instructor in the fire service, um, not in general, but in the fire service. And that is, uh, being able to self-reflect. Yeah. Um, I work with, a with a lot of guys that I've been beside for almost 15 years, some of them. And I know guys on other companies that have been in, um, the same positions for, you know, the last dozen years or so. And, you know, we'll sit down and talk shop sometimes and, um, you know, I'll spit out some things uh, tactically and different strategies and things like that. And some of them who, you know, I respect greatly would say, well, how, how'd you learn that? Or where'd you figure that out? And I'm always surprised by hearing that from, from some people because, the reason I believe that those these good instructors are made in the fire service is that when they get off of a job, they are the ones that aren't high-fiving. They're the ones that, uh, obviously, there's uh, that uh, excitement and, um, uh, and gratification from yeah. what you did. But they are the ones that are a little bit more reserved, a little bit more introverted, and... 
uh, that's because they're they're completely self-assessing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I say that because there was never a time that uh, from start to finish when I would arrive, the minute my foot hit the ground, I would monitor every movement that I made. And um, throughout the duration of the incident, at the very end, uh, as we packed up and got back in the rig and left, I would think about all those steps and I would think about my stumbles along the way, almost like a sprinter. Um, you might have a stumble and no one notices it, just you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it's that minor of a stumble. <clears throat> yeah. But it's, it's those little tiny trips that you learn these things from and that you improve upon. Um, and along the way, you discover sometimes a better methodology, a better way of doing or a better way of performing. And then you're able to disseminate that information properly. And it's, it's those self-assessors that I think become some of the best instructors. Now, unfortunately, um, self-assessment and opportunity yeah. go hand in hand. Uh, if yeah. you are not given the opportunity to get experience, then the mm -hmm. self-assessment becomes very difficult. Um, you yeah. can have that in, in simulation training, but it's it, it's just like football. You can yeah. practice seven days a week. It is nothing like the dance. It's nothing yeah. like going to the game and being in it. Um, that's where you learn the most about mm -hmm. yourself, about your capabilities, uh, and about your shortcomings. So um, I think that that's, uh, I, you know, I just wanted to, to dovetail on that. And I think that that is probably one of the uh, major areas that separate, you know, the media, the mediocre instructors in the fire service versus, um, you know, the, the quality ones. Sure. So, sorry, Trevor, go ahead, man. Oh, no worries, brother. I mean, that's, that's a very sage advice. And just to kind of dovetail on what you're talking about, Mike, is, you know, I think it's not only important to talk about you know, your triumphs in the fire service, but also you use your failures as teaching points. Um, I know, you know a major one that resulted in a, well, what should have been May Day for me, I've used as part of the uh, FDBA bootcamp class. And you know, it's very difficult because, you know, at first you're, you're kind of uh, reclusive about it. You're a little bit embarrassed. It's like, wow, man, I really messed up. And at mm -hmm. the same time, it's like, yeah, you did. But if you don't get this information out to somebody else, they're going to make that same mistake you did. And nobody's benefited from that experience. Good, better, and different. You know, experience is a very powerful motivator, but it, you know, you have to put it out there. So, you know, Mike, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And you know, that's why I have, you know, some respect for like you know, yourself, Ben and Mark is that, you guys will put everything out there and say, hey, look, I'm not saying I did this 100 percent. Could be 85 percent, 50 percent. Judge it how you will. But this is my experience. Here's what I did. Here's what I didn't do. And take this a little bit forward. So what I wanted to throw out to you guys, um, my question was, I think there's a lot of benefit in trying to develop our next generation of instructors. And with that being said, there's a lot of different thought processes out there. And one of the most poignant ones I've heard, and I'm, I'm always about the relevance because you know, if, if you're retired, uh, there's a lot of great information that you can give back to people who are coming up behind you. 
But at the same time, if you've not been in that jump seat, if you've not had air pack on, if you've not uh, been on that pump panel, whatever the case is, after time, it goes from relevant information to war stories. And I think we have to be very careful with that. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a backstory of why I'm saying this and then go forward. Um, way, way back when you guys used to do the Salisbury Seminar event, this is like year and year and year ago, um, there was a chief and commissioner from a very, very well-known, well-respected major uh, East Coast Fire Department who came down and was a speaker. And I got some excellent sage advice. I was, you know, a aspiring lieutenant at the time. I wasn't even a lieutenant. I wanted to step up to that, and I asked him some good advice, and he gave it to me. He spent the time. Wonderful information. He had retired, and then about eight or ten years later, they had him back to seek. And I was like, wow, I got to go see this guy again. He was great. He was inspiring, this and the other. There was no new information. It was the same story. It's the same thing. And right then, it, it, it kind of hit me. And I heard something very, very recently um, when I recently in the last two months. And this, this was a, a visceral comment. I can't get butthurt over it whatsoever. But, and it wasn't directed at me, but it's just a general thing where a younger firefighter who is wants to be an instructor wants to be a lieutenant captain go through the you know essentially go through the chairs and go through the uh, the progression goes I, I don't want to hear information from a bunch of gray hairs that I can get off YouTube in 20 minutes and that was a powerful state and they weren't being disrespectful but it was when when you kind of wrap your head around so here here's my question that I threw out to all of you one of the things that I found somewhat valuable is getting some of these younger folks to do teachbacks. So even if it's the probie at the kitchen table to say, hey, I want you to do a five minute presentation um, just before dinner on a halogen bar is to kind of get them in there. And everybody at that table knows how to use a halogen bar. But you know what? Every now and then that probie will surprise you and they'll go in. And if you tell them that's their assignment, they will dig in the research. They'll find some obscure crap somewhere. And, and I, I shouldn't say crap. I mean, they'll, they'll find some, something to, that none of us have ever heard, or sometimes it's just a general thing. But it gets them in the pattern of trying to take information they have and have lost somebody. In, in my belief, I don't care whether you've been in the fire service for you know, one week, one month, one year, 10 years, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. The people coming up behind you, you have an obligation to pass along information to them. So as long as we're not using it as a negative tool or just trying to burn this person up, I mean, I think that the teachbacks get people out of their comfort zone, but it also gets them to go and invest in trying to learn about that subject matter that we've tasked them with. What are your guys' thoughts, good, bad, and different, about uh, using the teachback method with our younger folks to try to mentor them to uh, be instructors down the road? I think a lot of that has to do with the active learning process, right? So, you know, um, it goes back to what I was saying with the audience. And I think, like you were saying, you got new, you've got a new group of people. If you're training a new group of people and they have limited experience, um, asking them, how would you guys like to, you know, how would you like to learn on this topic? Do you want, you know, I could bring this person in. They could tell you everything there is to know. Well, you know, if you want to talk about saws, this guy is, he, not only is he the trucky, you know, trucky smash saw guy, but he also has a side business where he, 
you know, does work, you know, doing lumber and cutting trees or whatever the situation is. He'd come in and he could tell you everything there is about a saw, the different parts of a saw, going through the entire thing about, about the saw, right? We could bring him in. We could have him talk about the subject. Would you, would you think there's benefit and value in that? And if you're honest with your students at the beginning, like I said, if you're telling them, listen, I don't know everything and I'm good with finding things out the way that you want to learn, you should be able and be comfortable enough to adapt to that situation. Don't think that it's a negative thing because it's not, right? You want the goal, the goal of teaching and the goal of any course is to gain knowledge and to get those, you know, skills and abilities where we could then act on them later on, right? So how you get to that point, how you define that knowledge and how you gain that knowledge in the beginning, I think is, it, there's no problem with doing that active learning, you know, teach back, tell me how you would like to do, or, you know, I show you, now you now you do it, right? Here, tie a bowl in. All right, great. Now, do it with your gloves on. Okay, great. Now, teach, te here's another way to do the bowling, right? Around up, over, and through. Okay, now look, we're going to do it with the bunny ears now. You know, we're going to do, okay, here comes the bunny, goes around the hole, he goes down the hole. So there's different ways to do all kinds of, there's different ways to tie tie knots. I mean, there's tons of different ways to tie a knot, right? Rescue harnesses. Here's here. Take out your webbing. All right. Now you're going to, we're going to all going to do different ways to tie webbing. We're all going to do different rescue knots. You know, we're all going to do different harnesses. We're all going to do different drag poles. We're all going to do different, you know, everyone. And then every single person teaches their way or how they were, you know, assigned to do their, their harness. Now they're going into that you know, I'm now teaching the class, which is not a bad thing. They're going to remember more. They're going to remember how they do it more. They're going to get feedback from other, hey, this was way easier to tie this harness up and to lift this person. Mark's two, you know, I'm 6'3". Well, I used to be 6'3 on, on my football roster. I've shrunk a little bit, uh, you know, 270 pounds, you know, with without my gear on, right? So you throw me with all my gear on, Mark's. 350. Okay. So yeah, we're going to haul Mark down the hallway <laughs> and downstairs and back up the stairs. You know, what's the easiest way to move my, my big butt around? Let's try different ways. Let's try different, you know, scenarios. Let's try different things. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having the students tell you as the instructor, Hey, let's, can we try it this way? Why not? Let's give it a shot. And if it fails miserably, Hey, well, you know what? We found a way not to do it, right? The old way, the you know, that old uh, quote from, you know, back in the day when Edison was trying to come up with the light bulb. You know, you've done it so many thousands of times. Well, yeah, well, I found a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. So, I mean, you know, just because you fail at something doesn't mean that it's the, oh, that's it. I'm done. I, you know, pack it up. I suck. I'm horrible. I'm going to just, I'm just going to quit, right? No, you have to reflect. And what Mike was saying too, a good, a good teacher will truly reevaluate what they did. I teach a course now called Evaluating the Evaluator. And if you're, if you literally are an instructor that is going through and I'm giving the same assignments that I've been giving for 10 years with the same exam that I've been giving for 10 years, which I've done the same thing for 10 years. If you're, if you're that kind of instructor, please get out of teaching because you are not helping and you are not doing anything. 
the students are already gone and they are trying to teach themselves. And it's, it's horrible, but there are a lot. I think we've all had instructors that are like that, that, hey, here's the answers to the test because he's been given the same test for the last five years and hasn't changed, hasn't changed a thing. And as a teacher, you know, I go through and I look at, okay, if I've got a test, if I've got a quiz and I got half my students have gotten question three wrong, I'm going to ask the students, hey, what was up with question three? Everyone said it was C. Why did everyone pick C? Well, it's my bad. I made a bad quiz. I made a bad question. I I wanted it to say this. This was my interpretation of how that question was supposed to be. And no, that's not, okay, well, it's my bad. I need to change that. So then the next time, it's better, right? I mean, that's the thing. You need to constantly reevaluate what you're doing to become better, you know? And that goes with anything, not just teaching. It goes, you know, like Mike was saying, with being on the truck and learning all these different things. And, you know, Chief Trevor, I'm sure there are things that you learned through the course that you have done that, oh, okay, I need to reevaluate what I'm doing here. Holy crap, you know? This is not, you know, writing emails, communication, that, that's a huge thing, right? You know, we're getting all fired up about stuff. I can't believe we're doing that. And then you write an email and you pump an email out. Do not send that thing right away. Let that stew for a little bit. Calm down. <laughs> Don't just be reactionary and rip that Band-Aid off and shoot that thing. And I told him. And then you're like, oh, crap. I shouldn't have said what I said. Yeah. Well, you, you know. Calm down. You learn over the time that okay, there's time here. Nothing, you know. If this is not, this is not that important. Is we sometimes need to step back and realize, you know. But the act of learning process, the ta- talking to people, and and you know, involving the course and the students in your course and in the teaching aspect, there is, there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact. It's called buy-in, right? We get everyone buying into the situation. Everyone's now a member and everyone's got a participation. Everybody everybody wants to see the success of the course, okay? Oh, there was, a, there was an, another guy I know that does the, uh, the Georgia Smoke Divers. And they do that whole, you know, week-long, you know, going in and doing the burns and all these different stuff. And they, you know, they, they have different things they're supposed to do every week. They actively use what's going on in the course to adjust to the situation and to adjust to what the scenarios are and to who they have is as students. There's a base level of expectation, but then there's gradients, right? Cause you got p- different people coming in with much different experiences. You know, I, if Mike comes down and talks, you know, truck ops and, you know, search and rescue techniques, he's going to have a whole different level of experience than, when I was chief and Rothschild using a telesquirt and craftsman sauce, right? So the, those are two different things, two different varying grades of experience. And we need to understand that when we're teaching these courses that, you know, having everyone participate is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, I was forever. And real quick, if you don't mind, um, I'm going to throw you under the bus briefly. Uh, you <laughs> Ben's been around for a while. He he's not the old guy, and he's definitely not the young guy. He, he's got a lot of experience, a lot of background, a lot of education. You know, time as an officer in his uh, department in Salisbury, but also in Ocean City. Ben, you're 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 you are Ben the bridge. So how how do you view some of this stuff? I mean, because you know, I'm viewing things kind of in a rear view mirror now. It, it, it a little bit more my career because uh, I'm 
towards the tail end of it uh, versus that person that we've talked about, that that young recruit or that new person who le- learns things in 27 soundbite. Ben, you're kind of like that sweet spot in the middle. What what are some of your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I think there's, there's something to take away from both sides of it. Um, you know, for the, for someone that's kind of in my spot, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on my finishing my second, second full year in ocean city as a, as a full-time, uh, career fireman. And some of the things that I've learned before and things that I'm learning now, it, it, it's, it's all like melding together. And I think I'm in, I like where I am. I love my job. It's the first time I've, I've said that, um, I, well, I've been saying that for for the first time again in probably four or five years. Um, you know, it, it it really is the best job in the world. Um, you know, I wish I'd have done it 16 years ago, and I'd be closer to retirement. But hey, here we are. Um, I think as far as like teaching and instructing, where at, at the at the spot where I am, um, you know, again, it, it you have to have that vulnerability. I know that when I would, you know, as a, as a volunteer captain and acting assistant chief, that could that we we were very fortunate in Salisbury, or I was very fortunate to have the ability to fill in as the engine captain for the shift that's working that day. If somebody needed some time off and they couldn't find somebody to fill it, hey Ben, can you come ride the engine? Sure. Hey, we like, can you fill in as the assistant? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so I was very fortunate to have that opportunity there, but to teach and, um, you know, to do the instructing, like, like I did when I was there, you know, Rachel is, Rachel is a teacher. She loves teaching. She's, um, she went back and got her specialty in special ed, um, which I think works out very well for our relationship. Um, but a, a lot of things that she talks about as far as education is like how, like how we do things in the fire service. You know, she at one point she had did a she had done a project on, um, you know, developing a curriculum like the whole from start to finish, a whole program. And she looked at the firefighter one curriculum, and she's like, "Hey, you've taught this class. Like, did you know that you had all of these extra resources that are a part of this program? That here's your instructor guide, and then here's a CD and a website where you can go and you can have all of this other additional material." to help your, help the students get, like, understand the concepts better. I was like, no, I had no idea. I was like, we were, we were forcing doors. Like, what more, what more do you need with that? Like, I got a door, I got some chalks, halogen and an ax. Like, we had a great time. Um, you know, so, so we, like, I really tried to get to the point, like, we would be leaving training and coming home, and I'd say, all right, how'd I do? You know, being the person that was running the training, whether I was actually doing the instructing or – you know, like we had talked about, hey, I want to talk about hazmat. And I call a buddy up, hey, I need you to come in and talk about hazmat for an hour. Okay, yeah, cool. So, we like he, like I would do a little bit, he would talk. You know, we'd leave on the ride home, the 10-minute the ride. I'm like, all right, give me the good, bad, the ugly. And she's like, do you really want the good, bad, and the ugly? I was like, I really want the good. I don't really want the bad, and I really don't want the ugly. But, yeah, give like, well, how would I do? And, and – at first, it was like, man, what what the hell? Like, that was a good drill. Like, we had some great training that we did. And now you're telling me that it was terrible? Like, come on. Like, it can't be that bad. And then she starts like, and she, and like, at first, it's like being vulnerable like that. You take it as like, 
Uh, she's picking, she's poking. Like yeah. this is like I did, I did bad. And it's not that. It's like how do you get better? Yeah. So, so I, I think, and I hope at some point I was able to start taking that those little talks on the way home as ways that I could get better. And I think, I hope that I did, you know, in ocean city, um, I try, like when I, when I go over something or when I talk about something or I get the opportunity to, to do something like that again, when we leave and it's like our crew, Hey, like, was that okay? Like, did I, like, what, what did I miss? And I, or like, even before we leave, like if we're pulling lines or we're forcing doors or whatever we're doing, like, Hey, did, like, did I miss anything? Like there's five or six of us standing around. Did I miss anything? Like, dude, what, what would you do different? You know, like I would try to incorporate that. And in my comment back to that person that says, well, I can just go watch a 20, like I can go watch YouTube and get it in 20 minutes, but you're going to take two hours to tell me yeah. like, screw you, man. Like the two hours that you're going to get from that guy is going to give you more institutional knowledge of where you are and stuff that has happened there that they, they remember for a particular reason. Like Trevor, you remember that fire, that brush fire behind the 94th street, which by the way, they've torn all those trees down for expansion. So we don't have to ever worry about those again, but, but you're going to get more out of that two hours. That's going to be a benefit to the rest of your career that you're not going to get in the 20 minutes on YouTube. Like that's, it's just not going to happen. So every once in a while it pays to sit down, shut up and listen to what's going on at the kitchen table. Yeah. All right. So listen to those guys. And conversely at the, on the other side, for those guys that have been there for 20 years, 25 years and are at the edge of retirement, like you guys have the institutional knowledge and have seen some crazy shit over your career in your department. And you have seen so much change in that time that one, if you don't change it, if you don't share that, like that, when they, when you leave, that leaves. So I don't get the benefit of that. It doesn't get passed on. The history and tradition of whatever we do, the way that we do it is lost. And some of that is good, but some of that is bad, yeah. you know? And at the same time, when it comes time for your turn to do something, all right, maybe physically you can't do it anymore. But that doesn't mean that you need to be outside bitching mm-hmm. about what everybody else is doing and like, why are we still here doing this? Like, well, cause I still have to do it. I've got 23 more years to do this. So, you know, like hang on, like, let me just give it a shot make sure I don't screw it up, you know? And then when I come out, Hey, like maybe give me a pointer cause you've done it for 25 years, Yeah. you know? So like, there's like, there's a full circle of that, of that brand new person, the person in the middle and the person at the end of their career. And it all, like there has to be a balance between all three because there's a lot of information sharing going on because the person at the end of their career, we're going to get some technology based thing that they're not going to know how to do. Mm -hmm. But you know who does the guy that just started and the guy that like you told to piss up a rope, like, Now he's now he doesn't want to help you, you know. Yeah. Like you, like you have to work the full circle. That just and my one, thought. And one of the um, and, and going, uh, what you delved into, Ben, uh, and of course we got a, a few chiefs sitting in uh, these screens here right now. But the benefit to teachbacks, I, I believe, is 
um, not so much on the end of the rookie or the young person that is just joined the shift. Uh, you know, you're going to give them a task and they're going to stand up and they're going to try to pull as much information as they can and they might surprise you. They might throw something out there that you never thought of or that members of the crew never thought of. But the benefit to uh, teachbacks, the benefit to these trainings uh, in-house, uh, when I say in-house, I mean in the firehouses with the company, um, the benefit to them actually falls more on the company officer. And the reason being is that there are a variety of learning styles. And yeah. these trainings that we put upon some of these rookies to stand up there and loosen them up and give them, you know, a little bit of stage time um, is should be looked at by company officers more for their benefit to see exactly what this person's learning style is, what, what they're exactly what their knowledge base is on certain uh, on certain disciplines. And from that, you learn a lot about your men. You learn a lot about their shortcomings, their capabilities, their confidence levels, um, whether or not they're overconfident or whether or not they need work. So these train backs or, you know, what have you, um, the benefit falls a lot more, I think, on the company officers. And in today's world, uh, you know, I know in certain departments, smaller departments, we place a lot of responsibility on a training officer per se, but um, the officers in houses, uh, should be shouldering a lot of that responsibility, especially with the progress of uh, potentially having, you know, capital pieces running out of those houses. Uh, those yeah. officers need to know their men. They need to know all those little idiosyncrasies. They need to know um, their strengths, their weaknesses. They need to be deep inside their, uh, their personnel's head so that they know how they're going to perform on incidents and they know what they can count on that person for or where they might come up short. And a lot of that comes with these little trainings or these little responsibilities that we place on our people to maybe just get up there and make a fool out of themselves for five minutes. Uh, and in that five minutes, that rookie might not get a whole lot. Um, you know, it might just be a bunch of laughs from other guys and gals at the kitchen table. But the company officer should be looking at it from a completely different lens than anyone else at all times. I think that's a great point. It's again, talking about how, cause they're going to, that, that person is going to teach similar to their learning style. Yeah. So if you, if you can pay attention to that and you can pick that up when you go to, when you go to have to instruct your crew or your group of people, all right, I know Ben needs to be able to see it and then do it for it, for it to happen. Cause that's how, he taught us about like he had to hold the halligan bar in his hands to go over it and demonstrate it i know trevor i know trevor he's I, he's good as long as he sees it he's good he's got it and mike uh, mike he, you just gotta tell him about something hey mike there's a halligan bar he's good you know and so it, so i think that's a great point that 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 whoever that person is like like I, and I, I, you know, being at, at one point being in that position, I never thought of that. It was always like, oh, they're doing a good job. Like, cause again, like they took the time to research it. 
they presented the information in, in a way that they were able to do well with it. And it never, never clicked that like, oh shit, like that's how I need to teach that person. That's awesome. I love that, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, I think too, like, it, like going back to what we were saying about the different states. So here in Wisconsin, part of being a fire officer level, you have to concurrently take instructor one. So the expectation that you don't have to pass and be certified, but you're supposed to take the course. So the expectation is if you're a fire officer one, you also have the background and knowledge of being an instructor. Because like Mike was saying, in, if, if that's your house, if you're a lieutenant captain, whatever, the, whatever your rank structure is, that's your house. You're in charge of your crew. You're in charge of those people. You're in charge of the training for the day for that group. And you should know what every single person, what their, you know, KSA, what their knowledge, skills, and ability, what they can do, what can I can count on them to do. If I tell you, hey, go take the door, pull this line over here, I can trust you that you're going to do that. I don't have to micromanage, right? I don't have to double think. I don't know if he knows what, it, what, what I mean by grab the can. And, you know, I don't know if he understands what, because that's your job as the station officer. That's your job. And your, your job is to be that, that teacher for all those people as well, whether you like it or not. 100% that's accurate. And I think, good example, I think what Mike was alluding to, too, is depending on what the departments are. So, like, in our department, uh, how many years ago now is this? Four? Maybe four years ago? We have, we had a shakeup in the whole way our chiefs and battalion chiefs and deputy chief and you know it was a whole reorganization of of the hierarchy structure and they hired specifically an ems division chief and we had hired specifically a fire rescue training chief so now we have right we have the quote unquote we've got a training division chief now so all the station officers all the for us it's lieutenant all those lieutenants are like, okay, great. I don't have to teach anymore because we have a, we've got a division chief of training now. He's supposed to be doing all the training, so he's in charge of training everybody. I can sit back and not have to worry about it. And that's not the case, you know. That's not the case at all. If you're, you know, in our structure, the the training chief sets the tone and organizes. Going back to the curriculum, this is what I want you to do. This is the lesson plan. This is how I want to organize you know, given out to all three stations, all three shifts. This is this is how I want it to go through. If you have questions, seek me out. So yeah, you you're still the lieutenant of that station. You're still in charge of your, you know, your crew. It is expectation that you're doing the training. And if you don't, or if you don't, you know, understand, then you ask questions and you get, you know, you get answers as to how to best go about doing that training for that day. If you've got a situation where like our training chief is actually really good at ropes and knots and, you know, he's one of those kind of people. So when it comes to doing that stuff, he likes to do that training. That's fine. He's a, he's what they, you know, subject matter expert, even though I don't like the word expert, he's still subject matter knowledgeable, right? He knows the ins and outs about knots and ropes and all that stuff. He's taken all the courses. He's certified up the wazoo. I would rather have him teach that course than have me fumble around and, and do the best of my job. So there's gradients there. 
You know, that's the dichotomy of leadership versus Jocko's dichotomy. You know, it's that's what happens. It, you know, the dichotomy of how we teach. You know, you got to know when to say yes. You got to know when to say no. You got to understand what you can do in your sandbox. You got to understand what your knowledge limits are. You got to understand how to how to best get that knowledge out to whoever you're teaching and whoever your crew is. And it's okay to say that I don't know, and it's okay to look out for outside resources. But as an officer, like Mike was saying, yeah, you know, Ben, you're 100% correct. If you're the, you know, you're the step in assistant chief, and all of a sudden you got paperwork to do, I. You know, when I was chief, there were things I have not. What is this now? How do I have to fill this out? Guess what? I'm calling the the village clerk and I'm asking her, hey, what is this form? Why do I, what is this? I have no idea what this is. What What is this doing in my office? I have no idea. Does it make me wrong to ask, right? Because a lot of the, you know, the, the chief duties are pushing paper around. But at the same time, you don't know how to do it. You got to ask somebody. Or you look it up online or you find, you know, you, you do something, you find something out. Because guess what? By doing that, you're gaining knowledge. You're, you're now knowing, okay, well, the next time I see this, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I saw that three months ago. This is how this works. But there you go. And we're done. And the other thing, too, I think, Ben, when you were getting to it is if I'm trying to explain something to somebody, you know, so we had a, there was a perfect situation. We had a new lieutenant. He comes over to me and he's like, Mark, if I ask you to get me the can, what are you going to grab? I'm like, well, I'm going to get you the water can. You know, yeah, I'm going to get you the can. Well, that freaking kid comes over with the freaking giant ABC extinguisher. I'm like, well, okay. Well, he doesn't know what a freaking can is. I'm like, well, did you tell him? Did you explain to him? Did you, did you know, outside of berating him for not knowing what a can is versus an extinguisher, because the kid's 21 years old and has never, you know, done anything in his life, you know, He's scared and nervous and he's on probation. He's trying not to screw up. So he's not sure what to do. And so instead of asking because he's going to get berated, he just grabs the first thing he sees. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, how did you, you know, how did you remedy the situation? Well, chewed his ass. Okay, great. Now what, you know? How's that, you know, that kid now feels horrible. He thinks he's a failure, all these different things, you know, and it's just like, well, there's a better way to have done that. There's a more, you know, comes over with the, you know, the extinguisher, you know, and it's like, okay, well, that's not what I wanted. All right, go back and get the water can. Okay, go back and get the water can. That's fine. We got time. It's all right. This is people are not hanging out the windows. You know, there's this not, you know, yeah, there's a fire here. We want to get it. But at the same time, there's some time to deal with what we're dealing with. Just run back over. That's 25 feet. Go back to the truck. Get that freaking water. Can't come back here. Okay. Okay, good. Okay, great. You know, there is a way to go about teaching and there's a way to go about berating. And, you know, that, that also was a fine line too, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Well, we're at about an hour and 15 minutes. So um, I feel like this is a conversation. There was something, um, Mark, that you had said earlier about the younger generation, but that is a whole other conversation. The whole um, other topic. Yeah. Holy cow. The teaching the younger generation, um, that uh, again, a whole other conversation. We'll, we'll have to delve into that some other time. Um, <laughs> but let's go ahead and do like we normally do. Uh, just kind of go around the horn. Michael, we'll go down to you. Like I said, I know you got a lot going on. So do you have any final thoughts for us? 
Um, well, Chief, thanks for uh, being on tonight. And uh, it's always uh, always a pleasure to, to to talk about some different things. You know, we're, a lot of times we're talking strategies and tactics of firefighting. And it's good to have uh, someone on that delves uh, a little bit deeper into the mindset of actual, uh, un, you know, the education level, the learning and the understanding and um, uh, getting this information and how we're going to make it transcend through the generations and the important little aspects of that. So it is nice to, it, it, it's a, definitely a breath, breath of fresh air. So thank you. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that one of the big things that I hope viewers take away tonight is um, understanding where their role is in all of this. Uh, if they are uh, relatively new and they don't have a lot of tenure, um, what are some lessons that they can take away from from the conversation that we had? And then, of course, the officers uh, of houses, the officers of companies. Uh, hopefully, you know, they've understood that, hey, I need to be a, a, a little bit more um, intuitive and a little I, I need to analyze my guys a little bit more to. Uh, get a good understanding of maybe where they need to go and how I need to lead them there uh, as far as that education. And then, of course, you know, as, as I said earlier, you know, sitting here with chiefs on the screen at the management level, our expectations uh, for our officers below us uh, and they're and, and allowing, you know, that trickle down effect to the expectations that the officers need to have for their crews. Uh, as far as that learning and education and dissemination of knowledge goes. So um, that's my thought on it, man. I thought it was a great show. And uh, Chief Hill, I appreciate you being on here. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got some projects going on, so we, we appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Trevor? And uh, absolutely, I, I want to kind of reiterate what Ben is saying. Mike, thanks for taking your time. I know you got a million things going on at once. And it's kind of cute that you pretend you don't have a white helmet too, but uh, nevertheless, you know, we, we still love you, brother. Um, but Chief Hill, thank you for being on tonight. Um, just as kind of a summary statement, I find that a lot of times in the fire service, uh, generationally, we're a people divided by a common language. And uh, with that, we just need to you know, figure out sometimes we're saying the same thing just in different ways and it can be a regional thing it can be a generational thing it can be you know a departmental thing whatever the case might be and i'll give you a quick example um you know i come from the mid-atlantic region and i remember just going on a high-rise call in my early tenure in my my current job and i you know, gave up what i thought was a decent size up and then uh told the, the incoming engine, it's like, engine to go ahead and take the plug and the connection on the southeast corner. And they got there and kind of froze. And I'm like, these, these guys know what they're doing. What, what the hell is happening here? And so walked up, did a face-to-face -face and say, hey, guys, were you, were you clear on the uh, directive? I, I should take the plug and the connection. They're like, what's, what's the plug and the connection? I'm like, okay, let me do Maryland to Florida. Um, I want you to take the FDC and a hydrant. Oh, okay, no problem. Boom, went right to work. So you know, even though it was very clear in my mind, it was just we, we were totally on different ends of the spectrum, and it was all about verbiage. You know, just just because that was I'll, that was what I was used to, 
um, needed to translate it cleanly into, you know, another region or area. So you know, they're used to me now. I'm used to them. Um, you know, when they talk about a CBS structure, I'm like, why, why is your structure on TV? That's a, con a concrete block structure. I didn't know what CBS was. I thought it was a broadcasting system, but nevertheless. Um, so with that being said, uh, you know, I, I think that we need to take that time to kind of come come down off our pedestal, not only as officers, but also instructors, and understand how different generations learn things. I mean, I, I saw that from being a young instructor and a young officer trying to instruct upward and got some good sage advice when I was messing up. And now uh, being towards, you know, the almost a, a fourth decade of service you know, coming up um, is looking at, at some of the people who are coming up behind me and they're they're very intelligent they're very well educated they're very savvy they're very tech savvy um and how how do i take some of this information to ben's point and be able to translate that into a digestible format and i think mark um you know chief you, you're doing that through your book you know, through two dark 30s giving these you know analogies and also just a very sage advice of you know, how how can we be better instructors and how can we be better purveyors of the information in the fire service regardless of where we are in the spectrum um, yeah. and get that information across not only for the generation now but for those who are coming after us and I yeah Mark I really appreciate not only you coming on the show but also you know, giving that information and you know, looking to inspire and grow the next generations of our industry so uh, you know, much appreciated and, and much respected so thank you very much Chief Hill. Thank you. All right, Chief. You got, do you have any final comments for us? We're gonna we're definitely gonna plug your book. So. <laughs> well, uh, no, it's, talk. Yeah, it's, uh, the book is one thing. That was just what I, you know, whatever. But no, I mean, I wrote the book for a reason. But at the same time, you know, my passion has always been in trying to relay information and try, you know, to try the best I can to try to help as many people as possible. Whether I was teaching, literally, whether it was coaching. Whether I was, you know, being a firefighter, volunteer, you know, professional now when I was chief. I mean, you always want to try to help someone. I think where we wouldn't be in the industry that we're in if we didn't want to try to help people the best way we could. Right. So my biggest thing is however I can do that in whatever capacity I can, that's what I'm going to do. And if it's my message of trying to teach and if, you know, yeah, I have a book. Yeah, okay, great. I've I've sold hundreds. I'm not worried about that. My thing is, have I gotten emails and have I had people contact me, you know, through LinkedIn or Facebook, whatever, saying, hey, I loved this part of the book. I learned a lot. I'm going to try to do that. Fantastic. If I can help one person, everything, all the blood, sweat, tears, and, you know, sitting and, you know, Having my back issues, it was all worth it to me. So, you know, my biggest thing has always been how can I, you know, try to get get the message out that teaching is in everything. Instructing is in everything. You know, drilling, you know, whatever word you want to use, right, you're going to do it no matter what. And whether you're the officer, whether you're on probation, you're going to end up being a teacher. And how you do that and how you communicate and how you understand the process is the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway. And, the, you know, the thing is, you don't have to know everything. You're going to screw up. We all learn more from our failures than, you know, and our mistakes than by doing anything else.
you know, but at the same time, you know, go back to, you know, stupid sports analogies. Babe Ruth was the home run hitter, but guess what? He also had the league record for strikeouts, right? You can't, you ain't gonna, you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket, you know? Michael Jordan made tons of game-winning shots, right? But he also missed a lot of game-winning shots. So unless you try to go and do those things, unless you put yourself out there, you know, unless I, – I forget who said, the, you know, the thing about you may not have enough experience or you may not have, um, you know, enough knowledge in, in a certain aspect or whatever your worry is. If you know that, and we all know what our shortcomings are, we all know our weaknesses. If you know, hey, you know what, I'm not really good at public speaking, then guess what? You have to force yourself to get out there and do those things. If I know I'm not real good at hazmat situations or, you know, I'm a hazmat technician. Okay, great. Yeah, I've got through the course and I'm certified, but you know what? I am not a hazmat, you know, guru. You know, I know a guy, you know, Lieutenant Quinn, he's my guy. If I have a hazmat question... Or, you know, one of our retired battalion chiefs, Al, he was, you know, they were chemistry hazmat nerds. You know, if I have a question about those things, guess what? I'm not going to waste my time trying to figure all these different things to get, you know, all these different books out. I'm, I'm, hey, hey, how is this working? How does this thing, you know, I'm going to ask. And there's nothing wrong with that. People need to understand that you can ask questions. You're not expected to know everything, you know, so... You know, the best thing you can do is just ask and don't worry about, the, you know, what people think. You know, you're going to get your contractors. There's going to be people that are negative. You're going to have that. That's just life. That's that's and that's OK. You know, it'll be fine. All right. As long as you're trying to do the best job you can, that's all you can ask. Terrific. Well, thank you again for coming on and joining us. Um, it was a great show, a lot of really good information, and hopefully those folks that are watching and that will listen because tomorrow it will go out as a podcast, uh, we hope you get something from this. Like I said, in the, the podcast and on the website, we're going to have the link for the book, so please go check that out. Um, if you guys have any questions or you want to get up with Chief Hill, uh, let us know. We'll pass that along. Other than that, uh, two weeks from today, I think it's June 8th, uh, we have Lieutenant Basil Abraham coming back from Orlando, uh, just recently completed uh, the Georgia Smoke Diver Program, as well as um, ran a new program, 24 hours, uh, a 24 hour long program called One Bad Tour. Uh, so we're super excited to hear about that. Um, but that'll be in two weeks. So keep watching our social media stuff. Um, and thanks for joining us. Chief, thanks again. And we appreciate it. Everybody have a good night. Yes. And we'll talk to you soon.